0: Good evening everyone, let me add my welcome to the one that Colin gave a little while ago. So uh, as Colin said, my name is Tom, I'm part of the CCM team and I'll be bringing you uh, the sermon tonight and the theme of the talk tonight is joy Uh, and joy I think is one of the big uh, challenges of the Christian life uh, for for many people in our age. It's an age that um, some have said is characterized by anxiety, by worry, by exhaustion as well, and and joy is such a a key theme in the Bible, and yet for many people it's so hard. I, I wonder when I when I say the word joy, who who's the first person who would come to your mind? For me, I think of a guy who I was at university with. I didn't know him all that well. Um, I knew him a bit, and he was a guy called Zed. Whenever I met him, and whenever I spent time with him, he he was always smiling. Uh, whatever happened, he had a positive comment to make about it, and he didn't always go through easy times like like the rest of us and yet whatever happened, good or bad, he seemed to just radiate joy Uh, and it's an inspiring thing. I I wonder when you think about the life of joy, uh, think about uh, what that is, what picture do you have in your head, getting up first thing in the morning, ready to uh, attack the day, you get up and you feel positive, you feel ready to go and then whatever uh, happens to you in the day, you go to work. And uh, I know we, uh, for, for people watching, there's all different workplaces, uh, different challenges that we face at work. But being able to uh, have that positive outlook, that smile, that happiness, that radiating joy, no matter what is going on, that is a, a challenge that many of us uh, would. Uh, face. Uh, Also, uh, think about uh, the the difficulties that you might experience in life. I mean, right now, lots of us are experiencing challenges around this lockdown, uh, and we're responding to it in different ways. Can you maintain a joy even when we're on lockdown? What about the relationships that you have when people let you down, when friendships aren't quite what you'd hope them to be? When when things happen with your family that uh, you, you feel hurt by, can you still maintain a joy what about when you get into financial trouble or, or when sickness comes when circumstances are not going your way many of us know that at times like that it really uh, puts a stress on our ability to experience joy uh, and sometimes I think we can resign ourselves to not having joy I mean at the, earlier this week uh, I had the thought you know I was just struggling a little bit with uh, w- with, with the lockdown and with being stuck at home and all that and, uh, the thought was going around my mind I guess this is just how it will be then until the lockdown ends. And I've kind of resigned myself. to so, well, this is how normality will be, the, the kind of uh, anxiousness or worry about it. And I, I had to really challenge myself that that isn't a biblical or godly way of thinking. And uh, we started a new series uh, last week in, in the book of Philippians in the Bible. And Philippians is a book that is all- about joy. In the four chapters, I think it's mentioned about 20 times this word joy or, or rejoice. It's a theme that Paul comes to over and over again in this letter because he wants to teach us what it is to have joy. Uh, <clears throat> one of the key verses in Philippians, it's not the verse we'll be looking at tonight, but just to kind of sum up the message of the book is in chapter four, verse four, uh, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say. Rejoice. I mean, that verse verse is crystal clear, isn't it? What should we do? Rejoice. What should we rejoice in? Rejoice in the Lord. When should we rejoice? Rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case that wasn't clear and you've not got it yet, again, I will say, rejoice. That is the theme. That's what he's trying to encourage us to do. And so last week, Colin kicked off the series looking at the first few verses. Of the book, he told us the story about how this church was started. So the Apostle Paul in Philippi, meeting there, a, a ragtag bunch of people like a jailer and uh, a lady who dealt in fine cloths, and then uh, a slave girl, and these became like the core group of this church in the city of Philippi. And the verses we read saw what what friendship and fellowship and togetherness there was, uh, and faith that God, who has started a good work, will complete it, and uh, it kind of led us in to. This book, and we're going to read the next few verses today. So, we're looking at chapter one of Philippians, uh, verse 12 to 18, and what I'm going to read now. So, uh, yeah, if you've got a Bible and want to follow along, please do so. And this is Philippians chapter one, verses 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So the first verse we read there, verse 12, Paul starts with this statement. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened... Dot, 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 he's referring to something that has happened, that Paul knew about, that the Philippians knew about. They they were well aware of his circumstances uh, and he's given his reflections now uh, on the circumstances that they knew, that he knew, that he was writing from. But let's just talk about what is it that has happened to Paul, what's the con- context here? Uh, and there are two main schools of thought, two different theories about uh, the origins of the book of Philippians. Everyone would agree it's written by the Apostle Paul uh, but there are two suggestions of when it was written uh, and what his context was so uh, some people think it was written in either uh, 54 55 AD that kind of time uh, when Paul was in a prison cell in Ephesus so that's one of the suggestions that's made the other suggestion is that it was in 60 or 61 AD uh, and Paul was in a prison cell in Rome now, I, I don't know which of those is correct. If you're into that kind of thing, there are commentaries and uh, you can Google and see the different arguments, uh, whether it's 54 or, or 60 AD, whether it's Ephesus or Rome. But I wonder if you notice what both of those suggestions had in common, that Paul's writing this book from a prison cell. You know, he can say, rejoice in the Lord always while he's locked up in prison. What a challenging thing that is. In fact, you could call Philippians Paul's very own letter from lockdown. But let's talk about what it was like uh, to be in a prison cell in Ephesus or Rome in the first century AD. What would Paul's life have been like as he was writing these words about joy? Well, the first and most obvious thing to say about uh, being in prison is that he was stuck in one place. He was confined. He was uh, restricted as to where he could go. A little bit like we are now. Now I'm not saying the two things are exactly the same, there's a lot of difference in terms of severity, in terms of how it's actually uh, applied and worked out. And yet I think for many of us what we're going through right now might be the closest experience we we have in life to what Paul had here. Uh, Just this sense of not having the freedom to go where you want, when you want. But for Paul, obviously, it was a lot more uh, severe than it was for us, because we, uh, we're still allowed out, we're still allowed to do things. Paul was not. He couldn't just go uh, anywhere. He couldn't take a Boris walk in the day if he wanted to get some fresh air and an exercise. He wasn't considered an essential worker, so he couldn't go to work. He wasn't even allowed to do a Tesco run to pick up a bit of food. He was stuck in place. And that last point about the food was particularly telling. Because if you were a prisoner in those days, the prisons didn't feed you. There was nothing provided. So you could only eat the food that you were able to provide for yourself. But obviously, you weren't allowed to go out and earn money and you weren't allowed to go out and buy food. So you were relying on friends, family, people who cared about you to come in and bring you something to eat. And if if they didn't, then you didn't eat. There's no digital communication. So uh, he couldn't uh, join church on Zoom like we are doing tonight he couldn't uh, just call a friend he couldn't send an email he couldn't send a text there was no way of him interacting with the people he cared about other than as we're seeing here uh writing a letter which is kind of the um the analog way of doing it that took a long time the slow way of communicating that's all that he could do so the big danger for someone in prison in those days is you go in prison and you're relying on people on the outside to bring you food so you can eat and you know if, if no one does then you're forgotten there's nothing you can do about it you can't just kind of uh, place an order or anything like that and uh, so for many prisoners in those days they'd be isolated they'd be forgotten they'd be abandoned he would have had circumstances where there was n- nothing to entertain him nothing to do, he wouldn't have just had um, a library uh, uh, of books that he could just read at his pleasure. He certainly wouldn't have been able to complete Netflix like I know a lot of you guys have done over the last few weeks. He he would have been absolutely bored out of his skull. It would have been very uncomfortable. Uh, he would have, he would have been physically chained up, and he would have been chained to a guard. So all the time there'd be a guard chained to him, and uh, then the guard obviously would uh, finish his shift. Another guard would be chained. To him, uh, but uh, like his his bed wouldn't have been comfortable. Uh, the sanitary conditions wouldn't have been very high. Uh, and think about uh, so some of the challenges we face at the moment. Um, he kind of had the worst of both worlds. Now uh, I know that for some of you, uh, there's this lockdown, this isolation, it, it's happening. You're on your own. And so there's a sense of not being able to spend time with the people you love, the people you care about. Well, Paul would have had that in droves. He wouldn't have been able to spend time with his friends, uh, w- with his church mates, but, but nor would he, um, would he have had kind of time to himself either. So some people are uh, in lockdown with others and you kind of are bouncing off each other, going a bit crazy, wanting a little bit of space from each other. And he had a guard chained to him all the time. So he had this kind of person in his space constantly Paul had dreams of things he wanted to do things he felt that God was calling him to do and yet he's stuck in prison he's uh, he's on the inside now and he's not able to put into effect the things that he would have wanted to do that's a bit of a summary but could we agree based on that and, and much more Paul's circumstances were difficult Paul's circumstances were hard he was going through a tough time as he wrote this letter to the Philippians And yet, what does he say? He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that's a fascinating thing to say. Because if it was you or me or any of us, I I think he was writing this letter, there's a good chance this might not be the perspective that we had. You know, how many of us would, would write a letter like this and really mean it? Or how many of us would write a different letter? How many of you would write a letter, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really sucks and it's really difficult and I'm finding it really hard right now. Please pray for me. Please support me. I'm not sure how much longer I can go on like this. That might be the letter that some of us wrote. And whilst it's true that his circumstances were difficult and it was trying, that wasn't the thing that was most preoccupying the mind of Paul. The first thing on his mind was that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. I think this is one of the secrets of the life of joy. That it's a battle for the narrative that goes on in our minds. It's a battle for the uh, the story that we tell about the circumstances that we're in. We can tell ourselves a story about how everything is difficult, how how our circumstances are hard, how there are challenges in life. And it it may be a true story that we're telling and yet there's another story that's also a true story that we need to start telling ourselves the old preacher martin lloyd jones he once said have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself you're listening to this story that you want to spin out over your circumstances and that's dragging down your joy but if you start talking to yourself, telling yourself the new story, reminding yourself the truth of God in your circumstances, through your circumstances, and over your circumstances. And that starts to transform how you see those very circumstances. We see the psalmists do this uh, quite often. One example, Psalm 103. Uh, the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul and forget not all his benefits. It's like he's talking to his soul, and he's saying, soul, you've forgotten. You've stopped remembering all the benefits of what God has done for you. Stop it. Bless the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We need to talk to ourselves in that way. When we start forgetting all the good things that God has done and when our minds go into kind of a pity party on ourselves for everything that's wrong, to start talking to our souls and our spirits and our minds and telling the story of what God has done for us. I remember uh, hearing Colin in a a sermon uh, say that when he went through a, a difficult season in his life, every day he'd start the day by saying, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And that's what I'm talking about. This is telling the story to yourself. It's a thing we need to be proactive in doing. I found in our current circumstances for myself, one of the most helpful things I've done uh, is I've been doing my Bible reading on audio. So I've been finding the passage that that I'm going to read for that day and I've been listening to it, being being read out and letting those truths just, just kind of recenter my narrative and my thought process about God for the day. Also, our worship music, putting on worship playlists and letting the truths in those songs shape the story that I'm telling myself in my mind. Joy doesn't happen by accident. There's a fight for perspective that we need to actually engage in if we're passive, and if we're just um, expecting it to happen by itself, there's a good chance it won't. But if if we're deliberate in reminding ourselves about truth in scripture, truth of what God's done for us, preaching the gospel to ourselves, then we'll start to see our perspective transformed, just like Paul had this gospel-centered perspective. You see, Paul could see that what was happening to him was actually advancing the gospel he was looking and seeing that god was at work even despite his circumstances being difficult he says this he says it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is the christ so what is paul going to spend his time doing we said that there was no uh, entertainment for him He would have had very few choices. Now, one choice before him is he could have just sat there moping, feeling sorry for himself, complaining, and getting himself in a bit of a funk about his circumstances. What else could he spend his time doing? He could pray. That's a great thing to do in a difficult time. He could worship or he could talk to the guard who is chained to him. Now, he probably wouldn't get much back from the guard, but the guard would have to listen it's captive audience. There's nowhere he's going to go because he's, he's chained to Paul. Uh, he, he's there. And what's Paul going to talk to these guards about? Well, you can imagine, can't you? He's, he's going to talk about Jesus. He's going to tell uh, of this one who's died for him, who's enabled him to be forgiven, who's enabled him to, to know the Father, and then who's been raised from the dead and given a new life. He's going to be preaching the gospel to the guards who are next to him and he says all the guards in here they all know that my imprisonment is for christ you can imagine when when the rotor came out and the guards were seeing which prisoner they were having to deal with each day you can imagine there's a groan from whichever guard is chained to paul because he ain't gonna shut up about jesus and every single guard would know exactly who jesus is and exactly what jesus has done and that paul is imprisoned for his sake so the gospel spread, even through his circumstances. Paul found a God-given opportunity in the middle of his prison time. He also says this, and Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul isn't that. You've got these churches that he started. And probably in the early days, people were quite reliant on Paul to take a lead, sharing the gospel, evangelizing, organizing their church, making things happen and suddenly Paul isn't there, this leader in their church is no longer in their midst. There's a vacuum and it would be understandable for Paul as he's removed from that circumstance to worry about what's going to happen next, what will happen to this church that he cares about so deeply and yet he sees that when he's taken away and when he's in prison he's no longer there that people are stepping up to the mark, and people are doing things that maybe they wouldn't have had the confidence to do before. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, we've seen this happen uh, time and again at Christchurch Manchester, so uh, we're all about planting new sites, starting new ministries, making things happen in different parts of the city. And when that happens, usually some people who were part of one of our sites will then go and become the team that starts the next site. And that often leaves a vacuum because these are people uh, who've been uh, very active, who've been doing a lot of things. And it's easy to worry, oh, well, if this person is no longer there and they're not able to do what they were doing before, well, won't the site that they came out of suffer? And we find time and again that what happens is somebody steps up and fills the gap. People uh, raise their game. For these opportunities that arise and this was happening as Paul was put in prison some of the other believers other brothers and sisters were stepping up and they were emboldened for the work of ministry isn't it amazing though that Paul even in his circumstances even in his prison time what's on his mind is how is this advancing the gospel how are things better as a result of this how is God doing his work through this uh, verse 15, he talks about some people uh, who've been preaching Christ out of bad motives. So it's like now Paul has gone and uh, Paul had all this platform and uh, he, he was respected and recognized as, uh, as a leader in early Christianity. It's like some people would have wanted that platform and position for themselves. So uh, they start doing more ministry. They start telling people more about Jesus and it's, it's selfish ambitions, fueling it, it's envy, it's rivalry. Paul's attitude to that is like hey you know what if if they're telling people about Jesus and if people are getting saved then praise the Lord he's not he's not fussed about um even being slandered or being made to look bad by something if Christ is proclaimed then that's brilliant he's looking for where is God at work and he's rejoicing because he sees that God is at work and you know in our circumstances it's easy to look on what's hard It's easy to look on uh, what's difficult, what's challenging for us personally, for people that we care about, for our society. And yet it's also, if we look, it's not hard to find what God is doing. You know, we're seeing, uh, having changed the way we do church, we're seeing people come to our services who never would have come in person. We're hearing stories of, uh, of people meeting with God and people getting saved. And a lot of us uh, are finding this time, uh, a time where we're really drawing close and deepening our roots of our own faith. It's like a a Sabbath time for many of us where uh, other stuff's been put on hold and we're really pressing in and spending that time with God. We should appreciate the things that we see God doing and we should be looking for them. You see, joy, it comes when we don't let our circumstances that we're in dictate our perspective on life. You know, sometimes people use the expression, I'm doing fine under the circumstances. And I know it's just a turn of phrase, but it's quite revealing, isn't it? That um, I'm under my circumstances. Uh, And it serves as a good illustration really for what we're talking about. Because the key to joy is no longer remaining under your circumstances, but getting that heavenly perspective, raising your eyes, looking at something that's far above your circumstances, seeing what God is doing get over your circumstances and see god at work how do we do it i think it's quite simple really Time in god's presence is key just time drawing close to him hearing him speak reading his word engaging with him in prayer just get time with god your perspective starts to change and also as we were saying earlier constantly remind yourself preach the gospel to yourself recount the good things that god has done for you I came across the story of a guy in the 16th century who'd learned these lessons. Uh, he, he was called uh, Bernard Gilpin, uh, and he was a British uh, Protestant minister at, at the time when uh, Queen Mary uh, had outlawed the Protestant faith, and she, she would burn Protestants uh, at the stake. And uh, Bernard Gilpin, like Paul, was taken into custody, uh, and his crime? Preaching the gospel. But, but he was arrested, he was put in prison. And he had this saying, whatever happened to him, he'd always say, Everything is for the best. Everything is for the best. And when he got arrested, he said, "Hey, everything is for the best." How could he say that? Because he trusted God, and he knew that God was sovereign, and God was always at work. Well, the, the guards were taking him down to London, and he'd been uh, sentenced to to be killed, uh, burnt at the stake. And uh, on the way, he fell off his horse, and he got an injury, and he painfully injured his leg and the guards were mocking him said oh yeah mister uh, everything is for the best what's what you making of it now you've just fallen off your horse and you've you've hurt yourself you're still going to die but, but now you've got this added pain Just still say everything is for the best and he said this he said i have no doubt that even this painful accident will prove to be a blessing well, because he fell off the horse, because he hurt his leg, uh, their progress on their journey was just slowed down uh, a little bit. They couldn't quite uh, travel at the same pace they had been traveling before. Eventually, they arrived in London. Uh, and when they arrived in London, someone said, hey, have you heard the news? In the last couple of hours, Queen Mary has died. Protestants are no longer being burned at the stake. You'll have to let this man go. You see, he, he knew that all his circumstances that God would work, that God would do something. And it's easy to look at a story like that from the end and say, hey, we know how it ends. Hey, of course God would do something. You'd only tell a story like that if there was an ending. But Bernard Gilpin didn't know the ending when he said everything's for the best. He didn't know how it would end, yet he had faith that God is the one who would work all things for good. God is always at work. We just need the eyes to see it. Paul had those eyes to see it. He, he was looking at what had happened to him and he could say, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. We're going to talk about this um, amongst the panel. Uh, we're going to pray in a few moments, but I just want to uh, offer a response before we do that. Uh, I know that for many of you, this battle for joy is a very real thing. Uh, I, I don't want to give you an opportunity to respond personally to this message. If you're finding joy something that's hard to acquire in this circumstance, could you just put your hands out now as a symbol before God that you want to respond? I'd love to pray for you in this moment. Lord, thank you that we do have cause to rejoice. Thank you that you have done so much for us. And thank you that you are working now God, I pray for everyone who has put their hands out, everyone who wants to respond. God, I pray that you open their eyes to see how you're working. God, I pray that you lift any burdens that are on them, lift any despair that's on them, and fill them with the joy of your Holy Spirit. Right now, Lord, do it. Amen.